What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for wrapping up your week with us. This is your Friday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We're a sports ethos presentation, of course, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You can find me on Twitter at JoeOrico99 and also at EthosFantasyBB. I'd really recommend you guys check out EthosFantasyBB if you haven't been over there already. We post all of our new podcasts, articles, different news and notes. All of our baseball content gets shared out at EthosFantasyBB. So make sure you guys are following over there. If you're not somebody who uses Twitter, that's okay. You can go to SportsEthos.com and you get access to all of that same content. I do really recommend if you're somebody who listens to the podcast every day, subscribe to it so that way you get them downloaded automatically into your feed. Don't have to go searching for links on the website or on Twitter or wherever. You just get them right away. You'll still be able to find them. We tweet them out every single day. But it is definitely easier for you. It helps us to grow a little bit more if you just get them downloaded automatically. So that's something I always recommend here about once a week. I'll remind you guys of that if you have not done that. Because I know there are people, they'll message me and they'll say, you know, I didn't see the, the link posted today on the Ethos site. And a lot of people do find them that way. I see every single day there's maybe 10 to 20 people that will click just from the tweet which is great. I'm glad if you find the show, however you're finding it, it just makes it easier for you if you are subscribing to the pod and getting them downloaded right away. Today we're going to talk about a few bits of news and notes. We're going to be talking about a bit of slander I saw for one of my favorite players on the timeline this morning. Uh, We're going to be talking about an injury, a player who got injured, who's actually a player that I really like this season, uh, but he may be headed the way of a drop. I'm going to talk about uh, Grayson Rodriguez a little bit and just kind of defend him uh, for some people who have come out on Twitter against him and people who are dropping him. Uh, I do want to defend Grayson Rodriguez a little bit, and then we're going to talk a little bit about Shohei Otani and the Angels talking about potentially not trading him, not having a decision made on that yet. But let's start off with the slander I saw this morning on the timeline for somebody that I grew up admiring quite a bit. I'm from Toronto. I think you guys know this by now. I'm a Toronto guy. But I grew up going to Florida every year for vacation for about five or six years. We used to go down to the Trop. We used to see a Rays game. It was right when they were in their height of being a really good. I mean, they've been a good team for a a long time. Uh, But that's when they went to the World Series. Those were the years when I was going. It was the mid part of the 2000s up until maybe about 2010, which coincided with the absolute prime of of Carl Crawford. Carl Crawford is one of my favorite players. I had his jersey. I had shirts with his name on it, those jersey things. I had a lot of different Carl Crawford things. Uh, I had had Tampa Bay Race hats. I had flags and stuff. They were my team away from home, the home away from home, essentially. And I saw Carl Crawford in the middle of his prime putting up incredible seasons every year, closing in on 100 runs every year. He was giving you double-digit homers. He was stealing usually double-digit bases, hitting close to 300. He helped them get to the World Series in 2008. And it seems like people have just forgotten about how great of a player he was. There was uh, an article that went out on The Athletic Today ranking prospects. I didn't go through the whole thing because, honestly, I just, I just can't with some of these articles. There was a portion of it talking about Carl's son, Justin, who was a prospect in the Philly system, and it ended off with, this could be very special. He might be the player his father Carl was supposed to be but never was. What the hell are we talking about? Supposed to be but never was. I, I, just, I just can't understand it. I tweeted it out, got in some back and forth with a couple of people, and it just is. It seems very clear that Carl Crawford is just disrespected for whatever reason. He is not viewed as great as he as he was when he was a player. People don't view him in retrospect as highly as they should, based on how good he was as a player. If I'm looking at his prime, which was about 2004 to 2010, his WAR, the F WAR, Fangraphs WAR numbers, wins above replacement that he put up in those years was 5.1, 4.8, 4.7, 3.3. 
He had a 2.8 there in 2008, but he did miss more than 50 games. Then the year after, 5.9, and then in 2010, he topped it off with a 7.7 win season. Really, really an excellent player. And I had some pushback from people who were saying, uh, you know, Carl Crawford, if you look at the average war during that time period, he was like 50th, he was 25th in the American League, only had one top three war season. And I just, I, I just can't, I just can't with these kind of arguments. If you look from 2004 to 2010, Carl Crawford was the tenth highest player in terms of wins above replacement. Looking at Fangraphs, forget about Baseball Reference WAR. If you, if you reference it, if you say, "Oh, Baseball Reference WAR," you're proving that you don't know as much of what you're talking about as maybe you're letting on, because Baseball Reference WAR is inferior to Fangraphs war. If you haven't if you don't know this go and look it up. I'm not going to go through all the formulas and every little bit of it because it would take us two shows here. Fangraphs war is the widely accepted war that people use. It just is. Now, when you look at Fangraphs war, these are the nine players who put up a higher wins above replacement than Carl Crawford from 2004 to 2010. Albert Pujols, Chase Utley, Alex Rodriguez, Ichiro, David Wright, Johan Santana, CC Sabathia, Roy Halladay, and Roy Oswald. That's it. He had the second most stolen bases in that time frame as well, and he batted over 300. People going out of their way to say that Carl Crawford wasn't a star, that Carl Crawford was just okay, that this, that I, I just, I just can't deal with it. I don't know why this is the point that certain people are dying on. I don't know why the article, which was written by Keith Law, had that ridiculous statement that's kind of putting down Carl Crawford in retrospect. Like I said, during his peak years, which is about six, seven years there, it's tough to find any player whose peak is going to be more than about six or seven years. The height of their powers, you know. Yes, Carl Crawford was plagued by injuries at the end of his career. Once he left Tampa Bay, he never had that same magic. First year in Boston was all right. Still not the greatest. He missed more than 30 games. And then after that, you know, once he went to the Dodgers and the other year in Boston, he was just never healthy again. You have you can't really judge him based on those years. If you're judging him based on his Tampa years, he was one of the best, most exciting players in all of baseball. He won a gold glove. He won a silver slugger. The highest he ever came in MVP voting was seventh. Probably should have been higher than that if you're looking at the 2010 season. If you're looking at even 2005, you could argue, 2007. There were years where he was really incredible and I think it was just a stacked American League at the time. Maybe that leads people to say, oh, Carl Crawford, he was fine, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And the argument that was put back to me uh, by Patrick Davitt, Patrick Davitt from Baseball HQ, is the person I was going back and forth with for quite a while on this, was saying that he had the 19th highest war, or how did, how did Patrick phrase it? Phrase it uh, 19th highest F war per 650 plate appearances from that time frame. 19th highest. I'm going to go out there on a limb and say 19th. If you're the 19th best player, let's even use this, you know, this benchmark of 650 plate appearances, which not a lot of players get to in a season, and it shouldn't be used as a benchmark anyway. If you are top 20 in Fangraph's war, or any war, over the span of seven years, you are a superstar. There is no question in my mind, and there shouldn't be any question in anybody else's mind, that if you are putting up those kinds of numbers, top 20 in war, yeah, you are a superstar. Like, I, I, I just can't, and I don't know why I'm getting so passionate about it uh i think it's because i'm just such a big carl crawford fan and i just also just hate to see him slandered i don't get it like if you look at the top 20 in war this season right i know it's a little bit different because what patrick was talking about going from 2004 to 2010 650 plate appearance average war per 650 plate appearances which whatever these are the top 20 in war this season 
Otani, Acuna, Betts, Freeman, Lou Bob, Gosman, Carroll, Franco, Gallen, Jonah Heim, Sean Murphy, Zach Wheeler, Tatis, Semyon, Corey Seager, Jose Ramirez, Adelise Garcia, Christian Yelich, Framber Valdez, and Spencer Strider. You go a little beyond that, you got Juan Soto, Will Smith, you got Lindor, you got Trout, Bichette. You can keep going on and on and on. And I'm not naming every single person at this point, but like Paul Goldschmidt, 33rd in war this year. Arosa Reina, 37. Judge, 39. Kirby, 41. Garrett Cole, 47. It, it, I don't know what the benchmark is we're talking about here for a superstar. You know, these players in an individual season are outside of the top 20, outside of the top 30, but 40, whatever. Garrett Cole is still a superstar, having a star season. His war is outside of the top 45. Does that mean he's not a star this year? No, it's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. When you look at somebody who is putting up that high of a war total, 20th over you know the 650 plate appearance average, which I don't even agree with using as a benchmark, but sure, that's the benchmark he used. He's still top 20. If you look at total war during his peak years, he's top 10. He's an absolute superstar, and I don't understand any argument that goes contrary to that. It really it, it just doesn't make sense to me. Let's move on from Carl Crawford, though, because I could just get very worked up about him. I think he was an absolute superstar. I don't think that there's much question about that. Longevity was obviously not there. The peak years were absolutely excellent. To put up multiple seasons of five-plus war is, is ridiculous. To put up a seven-and-a-half war season – you're a star even if you do that one time. Uh, you know, that's, that's all you need to really hear on the topic. But let's move on. Let's talk about something else. Let's talk about Ryan Noda. Ryan Noda, who actually has been someone that I've really liked so far this season, albeit it hasn't been as great recently. Now, he has a broken jaw. They've put him on the 10-day IL, but they say they expect him to miss probably three weeks. That's and Maybe that's the minimum here uh, for around three weeks. It was an oral surgeon who gave him this timeline. I don't believe he's actually going to need the surgery, though. I, I didn't see report of him actually having surgery. I think a surgeon was consulted, uh, but it's not really been clear from what I've seen and what the reports they put out there whether or not he's actually going to have surgery. I think it'll probably be about three weeks either way. It's a shame because Noda, you know, despite kind of you know disappointing surface numbers, two twenty nine batting average. Uh, you know, 34% strikeout rate. There has been some value there in a bad lineup if you drafted him later on in a draft champions. He's given you 11 homers, 43 runs, 38 ribbies, two stolen bases. He is walking 17% of the time, and he's a 375 on base. That's also to go along with a 131 WRC+. There has been value in Ryan Nota, specifically in deeper leagues. I think at this point, though, you kind of have to let him go. He's only a 6%, excuse me, 5% now of Yahoo rosters. And I don't think even in those deep leagues on Yahoo, you'd really need to be holding on. In the NFBC, I think it's kind of a similar thing. You don't have any IL spots there. I don't know if Ryan Noda in that lineup is really going to do so much for you, especially after missing what will probably be three to four weeks, how much he's really going to do for you over the final month plus of the season. You know, Three to four weeks from now, we're going to be talking about mid-late August, and then all we have left really is September at that point. We are, we're really getting down to it. Here. Uh, you know, the last couple months of the season are right around the corner, and we're getting to the point where an injury like this that's going to take you out for about half the remaining time, you can't really justify keeping that player on your roster. If you have an IL spot, then I'd probably do it just because we know that the upside is there, especially in an OBP league. But I think in most formats, Ryan Noda has to be dropped. It's unfortunate. I've been a huge fan, but I don't think you can really justify holding on to him at this point. Now, I do want to talk about Grayson Rodriguez because Grayson Rodriguez is somebody that I still believe in wholeheartedly. His roster percentage has gone down to 50 on Yahoo. It's, it's really jumped around when he was called back up. It jumped up into, the, I believe, the low 60s, high 50s. Now it's gone back down because he had a bit of a tough start against the Dodgers. And, I mean, hell, the Dodgers are going to give a hard time to a lot of different people. 
it's not the end of the world. It's really not. If you look at his numbers this season, I'd understand why you'd think it was the end of the world. He has a 7.33 ERA. His WHIP right now is 1.75. It has not been good so far. 11 starts, he's won two of them. It really hasn't been good. But if you dig a little bit deeper, he's a 3.87 xFIP. His Sierra is not amazing, but at 4.16, it's a lot, a lot better than the actual results of that seven-plus ERA. He's not going to be at no one. No one is a seven-plus ERA pitcher, really. If you're in the major leagues pitching. You're not going to be that bad. Even Patrick Corbin isn't that bad, okay? No one is going to be that bad, especially when you got such a high strikeout rate like he does. Now, it's only just shy of 26%, which is about as, you know, as low as you're probably going to ever see it from Grayson Rodriguez. It'll just keep getting better and better. Throughout all this time in the minor leagues, you're looking at upper 20s at the worst strikeout rate, usually into the 30s and sometimes even into the 40s and 50s in terms of his strikeout rate. That's how good he is. He really is that good. Now, he did, he did need a bit of a time in the minor leagues to adjust. He comes back up, and he gets probably the worst assignment you could have for fantasy baseball purposes or even real-life purposes, a two-step against two of the best offenses in baseball. And I did say this a few days ago before his Dodgers start to say, just hold on. Do not do anything with him if he has a poor start against the Dodgers, and even if he follows it up with a poor start against Tampa. There is no move to be made for Grayson Rodriguez right now in your league except to add him. You know, you're not doing anything except adding him. If you want to put him on your bench and not start him against Tampa, I would understand it. I really would. But he needs to be on rosters. Only 50% in Yahoo leagues. People are going to say, oh, people are zoning out. People aren't playing anymore. Good. Let them zone out. Let them lose attention. They still have league fees. Those are still active leagues. If you're still paying attention to those leagues and you're you know, playing for money, let them go focus on football. No problem. Pick up a guy like Grayson Rodriguez who is sitting there erroneously on a lot of waiver wires when there is still so much upside on a team that is just getting better and better every single day. The Orioles are the best team in the American League East right now. Crazy to say, but they do have a one-game lead over Tampa, who started the year like 31-9 and or 32-8 and or something ridiculous. They're going back to like that team, the Tigers team from, I guess it was before my time, but I think 84 or something, 80. 384 kind of range when they started off the year like 35 and 5. It was that kind of start for them. They have since come back to earth. Baltimore has surpassed them. They've been really hot. They're 8 and 2 in their last 10 games. And I think that we're going to just see more momentum build and build for Baltimore. Trade deadline is around the corner. Odds are we'll see them add a couple of pieces. They added Fujinami, which is fine. Just another guy to shore up the, you know, mid to late innings of their pen. And I think they're going to just keep getting better and better. And Grayson Rodriguez is just symbolic of that. He is somebody who has been a work in progress this year, and I think he will himself continue to get better and better. The walk rate is a little bit high. The strikeout rate is going to be coming along, and it's already well above league average at 26%. His BABIP is 380 at the major league level, and he's only stranded 65% of base runners. There's a lot to really like with Grayson. Please do not give up on him. He is very valuable from a fantasy point of view, from a real-life point of view, and I do not think he should be sitting on any waiver wires. Again, end of rant, that end of rant, that's pretty much it. But the Orioles are 22 games above 500. They're going to be fighting for a playoff spot down this, or excuse me, fighting for that division down the stretch. And I think they're going to be using Grayson quite a bit if you're worried about him going back down to the minors or whatever. No, he'll have a spot in the rotation. I think we're going to see a lot of good innings from him down the stretch. I really do. I ranked him fairly aggressively when I did my rest of season pitcher rankings. I had him at, where was it? I had him at 51. Could argue a little bit higher, a little bit lower, but uh, you know, I put him ahead of some other. I put him ahead of Shane Bieber, you know, and, and Bieber's injured now. But you know, I had him ahead of a couple other guys who I really, really like, just because I think that he is so solid. He is such a quality arm, so much potential there, and I really do think that we're going to see him get better and better over these last couple of months of the season. You have to take the gamble on it, whether or not it actually pans out, because I think he's going to be better. It, you never really know. 
he is the exact type of player to take the gamble on. Where I don't think he's going to be too limited in terms of innings because he's been up and down a little bit this year. We're talking about 50 innings he's pitched this season. He's going to be able to pitch the remainder of the year. Don't see any problem with that. Last year he pitched, what was it, 70 innings, 70-something innings in 21. It was about 100 innings. 19 was about 100 innings. He should be able to easily pitch the rest of the season, and I think we're going to see good Grayson Rodriguez innings. It's part of gut feeling, partially looking at the numbers and seeing that he's kind of been screwed from the advanced stats. So go and pick up Grayson. Been beating the drum all year for him. I really think that this is his time to shine. Last thing we're going to talk about is Shohei Otani and the malpractice of the Los Angeles Angels here. This will be a hot topic over the next couple of weeks as we lead up to the trade deadline and see what happens with Otani. Selfishly, because I'm doing that trade deadline show, I hope that he doesn't get traded until we're live on the air. But I really don't know what's going to happen. At this point, the Angels say, according to John Morosi, they have not decided if they'll trade Otani before the August 1st deadline. This is really stupid. They should have already, even if they're, maybe this is just the message that they're putting out there just to keep the offers competitive. Because if you do say we're trading him, then you kind of do lower the competitiveness of the offers. Teams will say, okay, they're going to get rid of him either way. Don't need to offer up my top tier prospects, or I can remove one of those top tier prospects. Maybe they're keeping the cards close to the vest. It's just hard to give the Angels the benefit of the doubt when we see how their franchise has been run over the last couple of seasons, several years, really, at this point. If Otani remains on this team through the end of August 1st, if he's still here August 2nd, they're absolute idiots. The trade value for Otani, it might not be Juan Soto-esque. We had this great conversation, Paul Spore and I, a couple weeks ago on the show. You guys really should go check that one out. Go and just, I think it's two weeks ago, roughly maybe two and a half weeks ago, where we talked with Paul Spore and we went 25 minutes or so talking about Otani trade potentials, or potential trades, I should say. And, uh, you know... I don't see there being any chance that he signs with this team again next year. The fact that he is going to be a free agent will probably limit the potential return in trades, but the other side of that is we know what the return is going to be when he leaves in free agency, and that's absolutely nothing. So even if you're not getting that full Juan Soto package, which is about four top-tier prospects, even if you get three for Otani, you got to do it. Even if you get two, you have to do it. If you keep him here through August 2nd for a team that is missing Mike Trout, for a team that's not going to have him back for a while, who knows if he comes back and what he gives you at that point anyway with the broken hand because that's about as bad as you're going to find for a power hitter. He's hand, you know, who knows if he's going to be able to grip the bat and swing properly. We don't really know. Even if he does come back, they've never been competitive with the two of them anyway. They have never done it. They've never made the playoffs with both of these, with both of these guys. I don't see there being any need to make one last push this season and sneak into the last wild card spot potentially and be buyers at the deadline. It would be such malpractice or as an organization. It really would not make any sense to me whatsoever. Um, but I, I, I just, I don't know. If they don't trade him, it's ridiculous. They say they're going to wait until 24, 48 hours before the deadline to decide his future. Apparently won't trade him to the Dodgers. Uh, there's a lot of weird stuff we're hearing here. So I kind of just have to let it play out over these next couple weeks. But at the end of the day, if Otani is still there after the deadline, the Angels have screwed up. They've massively misplayed their hand here because they have the most valuable asset in baseball. He's not going to be there for very long. He'd be an absolute fool to go back to Los Angeles. He'd be an idiot. They've done nothing for him. They haven't put a successful team around him ever. He's been there five, six years. Trout's been there 10 years. They've never done it for him. And they tried and failed in free agency. Josh Hamilton, Albert Pujols, Anthony Rendon, striking out every single time. And it's hard to blame the organization for spending. It's just they've spent poorly. So, you know, you don't have any trust in that organization. Otani, there's no need for him to have any trust in them. It would be in his best interest to leave, and I think he is going to leave. If the Angels don't do something, man, they're going to get nothing for him. 
and then that will be a hard sell to the franchise, uh, to the fan base, let alone trading Otani. That would be hard enough to sell as it is. If he leaves for nothing, then, my God, they're going to burn down that stadium in Anaheim. But that's going to do it for us for today and for this week. We are wrapping up the week here. I really appreciate all you guys tuning in, continuing to download the show. This was, I think, 355 episodes after today. Really proud of the fact that we've never missed any day since we started going uh, last March. So I really appreciate all your support. Those of you who've listened to every episode, I love you guys. I am here because you guys come every single day, and I could not do it without you. Go check me out over on Twitter. I'm at JoeOrico99. Just recently hit 5,000 followers over there, so thank you very much for that. Ethos Fantasy BB as well. Like I said, we post all of our podcasts and articles and everything else over there. And then at SportsEthos.com where you get everything right from the source. But guys, we'll be back here on Monday. Until then, have a great weekend. Take care. Peace.